Hello, and welcome to the Laverne Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. You can find us at 244 Old Nashville Highway, Laverne, Tennessee, 37086. We hope that any time you are in the area, you will stop by and join us for worship. Our Sunday morning worship is at 9 a.m., with Bible classes following. Our Sunday evening worship is at 6 p.m., and we also have a Bible study on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Amen to that. Good morning. Man, I hope everybody is doing great today. It is fantastic to see you all today. Welcome to our guests today. I know we have a few. We're glad to have you with us here at the Great Church. And, uh, you know, there are some Sundays, uh, well, there are different degrees of, of emotion, you know, that I feel about certain Sundays, and they're always positive, but some are more than others. And there are some days when I just feel so fired up for what we're doing together as the Lord's Church that all I can say is, mm, and that's how I feel today, mm, and I hope you feel the same way. All right, uh, we are now concluding this year's theme, We Are the Church, which we have been focusing on all year long. We are beginning on today the final le- uh, series in this year's theme, which is entitled One. And it is going to be drawn from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, where the Bible tells us there is one body and there is one spirit. There is one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God. These are the seven ones of true religion and the seven ones that are the pillars and foundation of the Lord's church of which we are members. Now, there are certain things that membership in any organization has in common. If you have citizenship in a nation, then uh, there are certain rights, certain privileges that come along with being a part of that nation. And uh, along with those rights and privileges, there are also some rules, some regulations, some obligations of citizenship. If you have ever been in the military, any branch of the military, the same thing is true. There are certain rights and privileges that go along with having served in the military. I appreciate our uh, brothers and sisters who have served. Veterans Day just being uh, last Friday. And these unity services that we'll have this afternoon, always the, the closest Sunday to Veterans Day. The same thing applies. You, you know that there are certain rights and privileges, but there are definitely rules and regulations and obligations that come along with being a member of the armed forces. If you are in a company, uh, own a company, work for a company, do business with companies, well, the same thing is certainly true. Uh, There are certain uh, rights and privileges that go along with being a part of that company or owning that company, but in order to do business on the up and up, there are also some rules and some regulations and some obligations that you have to make sure that you recognize and follow and obey. Certainly the same thing is true on a sports team. (laughs) Uh, If you uh, have ever been on a sports team or you are on a sports team, Uh, you know that there are certain, you know, the camaraderie that comes along with being on that team. And if you're a championship team, you get to enjoy the privilege of that. But there's a privilege of that kind of camaraderie that takes place. But hey, guess what? There are also some rules and some regulations and some obligations that you've got to follow. Rules of the game, rules of the team. You've got the obligation to show up and to leave it all out there on the field and do your part to contribute to victory. And so, yeah, there, there are privileges and there are also obligations. Brothers and sisters, exactly the same thing is true about the church. 
The church is the most special organization in the world, but it is, in fact, an organization. An organization founded by the Lord, headed by the Lord. And to say that there are rights and privileges that go along with being members of the Lord's church, man, that is the understatement of all eternity. Also, it is true that there are rules about being in the Lord's church. There are regulations that the Lord gives to us in the Bible, His Word, that apply to membership in the Lord's church. There are certainly obligations that we have together. As we think about our core text in this series, Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, we want to kind of place it in its biblical context, in its context in that letter that Paul wrote, primarily to the church at Ephesus, but probably being spread to all of the churches in ancient uh, Roman Asia. Uh, Ephesians 1 through 3, like most of Paul's letters, the first part of his letters are all about doctrine. They're all about the basis of our relationship with God and our relationships with each other, the truths of the faith. Those are always the first parts of Paul's letters. The second parts of Paul's letters or epistles are the practical application of these truths about the faith. If this is true, and it is true, what does this look like when I think it, speak it, and act it out? That's the way Paul organizes his letters, and Ephesians is no exception to that. So the first three chapters are what we would call the doctrinal section. It tells the truths about our relationship as the Lord's church with Jesus our Lord. And we learn a lot about the rights and privileges we have of belonging in that section. And then when we get to chapters 4 through 6, we have the practical section of the letter, which gives us the rules and the responsibilities that we have as members of the Lord's church. If you are this member of the Lord's church, then you're going to live this certain way. That's kind of the idea that the letter teaches us in so many words. And our section in this series definitely follows, falls into that second practical section. In fact, it kicks it off. So since we are Christians, since we are members of the Lord's church, how is it we're supposed to live? Verses 1 through 3, you can read, we're to seek unity, to maintain unity, but there's a basis for unity that Paul gives us in verses 4 through 6. And I want us to read that together and to think about that today. We're going to continue to read this passage and focus on different ones of these ones that are in this text during this series in, in November and December, Lord willing. Paul writes, there is one body, there is one body, and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. The Greek word there that is translated body is soma. And uh, guess what? It means body. <laughs> it means a body such as these human bodies that our spirits inhabit. Uh, which has distinct parts which function as one, all right? So our bodies have distinct parts with, which function as one. This hand is as much a part of me as this foot is and so on. You know, these are all a part of my body. And, and these parts are distinct and they each have different abilities, different functions that they're designed for. I, I, I do different things with the different parts of my body and it's just, but it's all, it's, it, I don't have to get up and think, say hand, say arm, lift hand up, hand, extend, fingers, grab. I don't have to do any of that kind of stuff like a robot might be computer programmed to do. It all functions just as one unit under the direction of my head, Right? That's the way the body works. And that's why the Apostle Paul in the Holy Spirit uses this metaphor to describe us, a church, 
as a family of God's people. We read in Ephesians 1, verses 22 and 23, the beginning, the doctrinal section of the book, the end of chapter 1. And God the Father put all things under Jesus' feet. All things, nothing left out from under Jesus' feet. He is Lord of all, Lord of everything. He, he put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him as head over the church, over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so when we talk about from Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, that there is one body, we're talking about the church. Body here is a metaphor for the church. The church, which is his body. It is the body that belongs to Jesus Christ. And so we can say then, summarizing this doctrinal truth, the church is the body of Christ. Now, I wish that I had time to you know, just go into this point and all of its details and all the implications, but I do want to say this. It, it, just as is it impossible for me to have more than one body, it is impossible for Christ to have more than one body. He only has one. There is only one church. And the body is not yours. The church is not yours. You're not the head of the church. You may be a hand or a foot or some other body part designed by the Lord to achieve some aspect of the ministry functions of the church. But Christ is its head and he is the only head. In other words, all the rules, all the regulations, all the truths, all the rights and privileges that belong to membership in the church of our Lord, those come from Jesus our Lord. He decides them. He sets the boundaries. He sets the rules. It's our part as hands and feet to, feet to obey. Obey. And so this helps us to understand who we are and how we relate to Jesus. And so our passage, Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 4, could begin in this way there is one church and one spirit. Seeing as in the context tells us that's exactly what the passage is talking about. But Paul chose by the Holy Spirit to use that word body, and so that's what we're going to focus on today, thinking about the one church in terms of it being the Lord's one body. All right? So let's think about what that means. And in order to help us to understand what that means, I want us to look at two parallel passages, two related passages in the New Testament. The first will be from Romans chapter 12 and then 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Those uh, page numbers are there on your screen if you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bible. Romans 12 verses 4 through 8. Listen, Paul writes, For as we have many members in one body, hands, feet, and so on, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, Paul writes. Isn't that a beautiful metaphor? Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. And, and we could go on with the rest of that passage, but that's enough for, for the point that I'm making right now. You know, the point that Paul makes is that, well, there's one member of the church who has been gifted by God with, with a particular ability that they can use to serve in ministry. Someone has been called to be a teacher. Somebody on the other hand is called to be an encourager. Somebody's got a gift to lead, to organize, to manage, to, to be able to put ministries together and get people in the proper places and get them moving in order to serve. There are people that, are, that have a servant spirit that is more beautiful than anything that I've ever seen in this world. And that's a gift from the Holy Spirit of God. And, and Paul tells us in this context that God has given us all some ability that we can use in service to our king and in service to our fellow man and carrying out the great commission to, to seek and save the lost and to build up the saved and to do good works that, that increases the thanksgiving that people lift up to God in this world. All of us have a place. Maybe you're a hand, maybe you're a foot, 
Maybe you're a belly, maybe you're a back. I don't know what all those metaphors might turn into. But the point is, we've all got different abilities that God has given us, but none of us is superior to the other. None of us is more important than the other. We all are simply a part of the one body. And under the direction of our head, Jesus Christ our Lord, we're called to be in unity together using all of our talents and abilities and, and, and the gifts that God has given us in order to accomplish the mission of the church. That's the idea there we get from Romans chapter 12. Now let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And you'll see that these uh, two passages are very, very similar. Here we'll look at beginning in verse 12, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. Paul writes, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that body being many are one body, so also is Christ. Stop and think about it. Let it soak in. Soak in that for a minute. As the body is one and has many members... But all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. Notice verse 13. For by one spirit, some, passage, some versions say for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact the body is not one member but many. If the foot should say because I am not a hand I am not of the body is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say because I am not an eye am I not of the body? Is it, I'm not of the body is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members each one of them in the body just as he pleased. And we could go on, but that's enough of our text today. Again, to get the point from this passage, everybody's got a purpose and a place. The church is the body of Christ. When every member of the body realizes I, you, each of us individually are important parts of the body. Each of us has a place that enables the body to function under the will of Jesus Christ. And when every single member of the body of our Lord functions in the right way, to the best of their God-helped ability, then brothers and sisters, this church is and will be a glorious and beautiful thing, a wonderful organization that the glory of which surpasses any other kind of organization that could possibly exist. There's a point that I want us to just soak in, again, to take in and to really think about here. Christians differ from one another as much as hands differ from feet. What's the difference between a hand and a foot? Well, they both have five digits on them if, if all things have gone well with you. They both have purposes to serve that are a little bit distinct, but man, one helps the other, one needs the other, and each is a part of the same body. And brothers and sisters, that is the doctrinal truth about who we are as uh, God's people. And so I like to say it this way. These passages teach us this principle of diversity in unity. Now, most people put those words in the opposite order. America, you know, likes to celebrate unity in diversity. But I, I, I think it's better to put those words in the other order. Now, you say, well, what's the difference? You know, diversity and unity, unity and diversity, two ways of saying the same thing? Well, maybe, depending on what you mean. But when you say unity, when you say uh, unity in diversity, you're saying, yeah, we're all one, but we're diverse. We're all different. We're all doing our different things. Well, okay, that's not terrible and that's not bad. But when we say diversity that is in unity, we're starting with the diversity. And we're, we're recognizing what the Lord has done in bringing this diversity into unity. 
And so we're focusing on the unity. And that's the way God wants things to be in the Lord's church. There's not supposed to be ethnic churches that are churches that celebrate a particular ethnicity. That, that is a violation of the Lord's will that we all be one in Christ Jesus. You know, there, there shouldn't be uh, any kind of uh, breakdown of social class in the church or any sort of things like that. We're all, sp- yeah, of course we're different, as different as hands are from feet. But just as hands and feet are both part of the same body, so each one of us, regardless of our ethnic backgrounds, regardless of our education backgrounds, regardless of our so-called social class, or whatever other way that people want to break other people down and put them into boxes and divide them up and all that sort of stuff. The Bible teaches us that all that diversity is called into unity in the person of Jesus Christ and in the church that he bought and paid for with his own blood. And so, brothers and sisters, we are indeed members one of another. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Just like there are all kinds of different Legos that come in a Lego set, different shapes, different colors, you know, different functions. But man, you put them all together and you can build some really neat things. That's the church. That's the church. That's the body of Christ. And I hope that that illustration will help us to kind of grasp the point. And so we can summarize again what we've learned so far today. The church is the body of Christ. It's the only one. There is only one church. There cannot be more than one church. If you've got two different churches that say they're not the same church, well, they both can't be the one church. Brothers and sisters, that's just logical, common sense. All right, so let's continue then in our thoughts this morning. You might ask the question, well, I am here in what Paul is, is written by the Holy Spirit, and I'm hearing what you're preaching about the, the, the church being the body of Christ, there being only one, there being only one church. But what about the fact that there are so many different kinds of churches in the world today? If you were to, to put, you know, to take Christendom and divide it up in all the different so-called kinds of churches that are out there, there are literally thousands of different distinct kinds of churches out there all claiming to be the church of Christ, the church of our Lord. And of course, within our fellowship, say, within the churches of Christ, well, there are lots and lots of congregations. So so how does that fit into this teaching that Paul gives us in these passages, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4? I want to hopefully help us to to kind of, I want everyone to understand. And I understand today I'm preaching to some of you folks that have been Christians that have been in the Lord's church for decades. And I understand that, that some of you are, are just now, you know, older adolescents, early in your 20s, and you're really beginning to just kind of come into your own in understanding the faith. And I realize that there are a lot of you kids there. And I want to preach this in a way that we can all understand and grasp how it is that the church is to be broken down and understood uh, organizationally. All right? Now, first of all, grasp this truth. This is of fundamental importance vital importance. There are only two legitimate groupings of the church. There are only two legitimate, biblically legitimate groupings of the Lord's church. There is the one universal church in all the world. There is the one church which includes every single baptized believer and their children who are being brought up in the faith all over the globe. Every congregation that is faithful to Jesus, all churches that are faithful are a part of the one universal Lord's church. We could call that the true Catholic church, but I'm going to talk about that word Catholic in just a minute, so just hold that thought, all right? Secondly, secondly, the local church or the local congregation. The Laverne Church of Christ 
is a local congregation of the church of our Lord that is a part of the whole fellowship of the church of Christ all over the world. Now, you might notice what's missing from what we see in our world today. Where's the middle, you know, the middle section, the denomination? Where's that? What about the Baptist church, the Episcopal church, the Presbyterian church, you know, the Roman Catholic church, or you fill in the blank church? What about that? Isn't there the universal church and it's broken down into these boxes of traditions and fellowships and denominations and so on? And then the local congregation is in each one of those boxes? No. Read the Bible from cover to cover, especially the New Testament from cover to cover. I'm just telling you the truth. There are only two ways to group the church that are biblically legitimate. There is the universal church and there is the local congregation. If there is one church, how can it possibly be divided into denominations and the Lord be pleased with that? Now, I don't have time to go into all the details of this, but I'll just r remind you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10 and see what the Apostle Paul says about the Lord's desire for Christian unity there. If you're taking notes, write that down if you don't know the passage. And the Lord's high priestly prayer. Read the whole chapter of John 17 and see just how unified Jesus wants his followers to be. The church is not just non-denominational or undenominational. It is undenominatable. It cannot be legitimately broken down into denominational groups any more than it can be broken down into racial groups or, or social class groups or any kind of group. There is only the universal church and there is the local congregation. That is the only way, biblically, that the church can be broken down. So we're trying to break it down in some other way, then uh, we're not following the teachings of Scripture. Now among those that are, you know, the churches in the world today... All the churches in the world today are thus in one of three places. And this comes from Revelation chapters 2 and 3. All right? Now, you won't necessarily see these words in Revelation 2 and 3, but let me explain what I mean. Uh, Jesus, in, uh, in giving the revelation to John, the last book of the New Testament, the book of Revelation, in chapters 2 and 3 especially, he wrote the letters to the seven churches of Asia. These were seven well-known churches of our Lord in the province of Roman Asia, modern-day Turkey, and Jesus had some words to say to all seven of these churches. And by reading these two chapters of Revelation, we recognize that these churches fell into three broad categories. There are healthy churches, the churches to which Jesus had no warnings, no criticisms, no corrections, just attaboys, well-dones, commendations, healthy churches. There are churches that I would call sub-biblical meaning that they're kind of functioning below the level of the biblical ideal. Yeah, they're, they're, they're faithful to Jesus in many ways, but they got some junk going on that needs to get fixed. All right? That, by the way, is the biggest category of churches that Jesus writes to in Revelation 2 and 3. And then there is apostate. That is, this church has got nothing going for it that's good. Jesus has no commendations, nothing but a, a criticism and a final warning before that church just ceases to exist altogether. All right? Now, we don't have time to read all of Revelation 2 and 3, but I want you to think of those three spiritual categories of churches, and I, I'm hoping that we all can internalize this so that as we, you know, make our way through this life, we all need to be striving as baptized believers, as Christian individuals and families, wherever we go, I hope we'll all stay right here in Laverne, Tennessee as long as we live. But if anybody ever finds yourself moving to another place, you need to find a faithful congregation of the Lord's church to worship with and be a part of. 
And if you can't find one in a community wherever you go, guess what? Jesus just made you into a missionary. <laughs> you got to start one in your living room and plant the church of our Lord in that community. All right? So, so how am I to know if the churches in my neighborhood are right with the Lord? Well, I just want to give you these three categories that you can look in different churches and consider them in. First of all, let's think about apostate churches. Apostate. There's only one, thankfully, in Revelation 2 and 3 that is totally apostate, and that is the church at Laodicea. Jesus said that church was lukewarm. They really didn't care about anything except themselves and their prosperity. He told them they thought they were rich, but that they were wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Brothers and sisters, there are churches in these United States today that are lukewarm with regard to the faith, and the members of those churches are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked in the spiritual sense. Congregations today that put a rainbow out in front of the building, and not talking about celebrating uh, the promise that God made at the conclusion of Noah's flood, but celebrating that they are affirming and inclusive, and, and some even have openly practicing homosexual pastors, and they're proud about this. Those are apostate churches. They are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked in the eyes of the Lord Jesus. Have nothing to do with a church that flagrantly violates the Scriptures like that. The second category, of course, are what we would call the sub-biblical churches. And uh, these are churches that Jesus has some commendation for. And He also has some criticism or some warnings toward. Ephesus was a church that was doctrinally sound. Man, I mean, they, they preached the truth. They stood up for the truth. They found out false teachers and they exposed them. And they were good at it, but they didn't love anymore. It was all about being right. It was all about winning battles. It was all about the, their pride and being a sound, doctrinally sound church. But they didn't love people anymore. And Jesus said, you better correct that. You better correct it. Pergamum. Well, Jesus praised them for the endurance of their faith, but they were compromised with materialism and idolatry. Jesus said, you're going to have to fix that. We read Thyatira. Jesus commended their spiritual growth. They were actually stronger spiritually than when that church had originally been planted, but they had a tolerance of sin. They tolerated that woman Jezebel, probably a code name but uh, a false teacher that was teaching them to practice sexual immorality in that congregation. They were following that teaching. So Jesus commended, but he also warned. They had to straighten that up. What about Sardis? Jesus act, Sardis is close to apostate. Jesus tells the church at Sardis that you're dead. He says to the church at Sardis, you're dead. That's what he says. But there were a few in that congregation, he said, that hadn't soiled their garments. Right? So I've put together a chart. Oh, I about went over the sound healthy churches. Man, I'm so getting so uh, fired up about talking about the bad churches, I almost forgot the good one. That's not appropriate. All right, the healthy church, churches, Smyrna, two of them. Smyrna, Jesus said, you're rich. They were in, in physical poverty. But spiritually, Jesus said, you're rich. They were faithful to him. He had nothing bad to say. And then you have Philadelphia. All he says to Philadelphia is, you have kept my word. Man, I'll tell you what, if we could get a letter from Jesus today at Laverne Church of Christ, that's what I want to hear. That's the kind of stuff I want to hear. 
And so, brothers and sisters, we've got to take being the Lord's church very seriously. We've got to take the authority of the Word of God seriously. This is God's Word, brothers and sisters. This is God's Word that we are called to teach. It has the authority of God. It is true and it is right in every respect. If you disagree with the Holy Bible on any point, you are always in the wrong. Always wrong. You may not understand. You don't have to understand everything. But this Bible comes from God, brothers and sisters. It is truth. And we're not perfect. And the, the, this concept of being a faithful, healthy, Smyrna wasn't a perfect church. Philadelphia wasn't a perfect church. And the members of those churches were not themselves morally or doctrinally perfect. But something was right about them. The heart was right about them. That they had a heart to seek the will and the word of God and to do it with faithfulness. And Jesus said, well done. Somebody said, you know, we read about Jesus in Matthew 25 talking about the judgment day. And he'll say to those on his right hand, well done, good and faithful servant, enter in the joys of your Lord. Jesus is going to say well done to those who have done well. Not with regard to being perfect in our good works, as none of us will be. But done well with regard of being loyal to him, faithful to him, respectful of his word, and having lived our lives striving to obey it both in the spirit and brothers and sisters, yes, don't be afraid of it, to the letter. Because God's commandments are never burdensome. So I, I want to just hopefully make this understandable to everybody. So I put together a little chart here. And sometimes charts help me to kind of put things in their proper places and proper boxes. And so we got the idea here. This great big circle in the middle is the whole of the church of our Lord. That is the whole church of Christ. And you see that there are three little congregations, three congregations in the midst of the big universal church of Christ. The one there on top is Laverne Church of Christ, by the way, the great church I had to put at the top of the circle. All right. But then there are other two sister churches that are faithful, healthy churches. They're also inside the circle. You see there are the two. There was one way out in left field also, but there are two you can see on your screen there. One of them is, over, is, is straddling the line, straddling the line. The other one is outside the line altogether. Now, you, you think about this chart and consider Revelation 2 and 3. You, you've got sound, healthy churches to which the Lord has nothing negative to say, only commendation. Just keep on keeping on. You've got the sub-biblical churches where there are some members of those churches that are right with God. And there are some members of those churches who are not. There are some things going on in that church that Jesus commands that some of the faithful brethren are doing. And there are some things in those churches that he condemns that they got to get out of that church if they want to be right with Jesus and remain right with Jesus. And then there are apostate churches. However far it is that they have compromised their faith with the world and gotten outside the will of Christ, they are nevertheless, as a whole church, outside of the will of Christ. They're not in the circle. Does that make sense? That's what we learn from Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, Revelation 2 and 3. We need to be warned, brothers and sisters, to stay on the straight and narrow. We need to be encouraged that all of the power of heaven has been given to us to enable to do this faithfully. We just have to get ourselves out of the way and make sure we respect the rules and the regulations that the Lord has laid down in his holy book for us to follow as his people. 
because our continuing in the rights and privileges of church membership depends upon our continually being faithfully obedient to his written word. Brothers and sisters, that really is the sermon in a nutshell. The importance of Christian unity cannot be overstated. There is nothing more important in this world than a unified church. No greater evil has the devil ever done than to lead Christians to divide from each other and to become each other's philosophical, moral opponents when our mission is to call everybody to unity in Jesus Christ. I already said, and it's true, the church cannot be legitimately divided. If the church is divided, it is always illegitimate. Whatever the reason may be, it is against the Word of God. We learn from these contexts, brothers and sisters, that doctrine matters. It matters very much. But we also learn that love matters just as much. You cannot be a sound congregation teaching the truth if you also don't love each other and love your neighbor as yourself. These are the great commandments, to love God and to love your fellow man. Those are the great commandments. Everything else is hanged upon those commandments. And so you say, well, we're teaching the truth about the plan of salvation. We're teaching the truth about how we should worship. We're teaching the truth about the organization of the church. We're teaching the truth about how we should live morally in life, and so on and so on and so on. But if you're biting and devouring and criticizing and dividing and hating each other, you're not a sound congregation. You may be straddling the line at best, but you're not inside safe and sound where the Lord wants you to be. We learn from these contexts that the body of our Lord is incompatible with impenitent idolatry, with materialism and immorality. Just think of the church as if this was not merely a metaphor, but if this is literally Jesus' human body walking around on this earth, what would be Jesus be doing in his body? Well, brothers and sisters, you know what Jesus did when he was in his earthly ministry in his body. He went about doing good, healing all those who were oppressed by the devil. He was tempted in all ways that we are, yet without sin. Jesus never compromised with idolatry, that is, worshiping anything other than God. Jesus never compromised with materialism. He didn't even own a home. The only possession he had were the clothes on his back, period. He never compromised with immorality. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you. I know you're not perfect like Jesus yet, and I'm not either. And the whole of his church in this world is not perfect like Jesus yet, and we know that to be true. Our future hope of perfection has been established because of Jesus' literal perfection. But it is our job to strive with everything within us to imitate his perfection in every way, to be moving upward and onward all the time, every single day of our lives, striving to be hands and feet and eyes and ears and noses and mouths for the head, our Lord Jesus in heaven, whose will it is our obligation to fulfill as his faithful church in this world during our whole lifetimes. We got to learn and obey the word. We got to love the brethren. We got to be holy and separate from the world. Brothers and sisters, that is the truth about the one body. 
This morning I want to say to you that you're not a part of the one body of Christ. There's only one body, only one church. There's only one way to become a member of the church. And that is to confess your faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, to make the decision to give Him your life. That's what the Bible calls repentance. It means hating your sins, turning against your sins, and turning in loyalty to the face of Christ, determined to follow Him for as long as you live and into eternity. And then you must be baptized, buried in water, symbolic of being united with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, where your sins will be washed away You will be added to the one church, Acts 2 and verse 47, the body of Christ, and you will become a part of this great organization, this great family, this great unity, this great mission that all of your brothers and sisters in Christ here are grateful to be a part of with all of its rights and privileges that lead into heavenly glory. And this morning, if you are a baptized believer that needs the prayers of this church, the front pews are open. Come as we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions, please email them to us at office at lavernecoc.org. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.